So those of you that are uh, been here since 9:30, you've heard enough of me. So, <laughs> uh, not don't, don't have a text and a title in here because I wasn't really when we did this. I didn't know I was going to be doing this, so uh, I just had enough time to erase it, and I didn't have time to think of what I was going to do. So I erased uh, Daniel that was in there and didn't have anything to put back. But we are going to be in Ephesians chapter two. Uh, focusing mainly on verse 10, um, with, uh, but we're going to do the whole, the whole first 10 verses, uh, as we go through this. We have spent a lot of time talking about justification, atonement, redemption, and the gospel over the last 18 months as we have been studying the book of Romans, which for those of you that aren't part of that, we're all the way up to chapter 5 now. Okay, <laughs> and we are going to be continuing that study for the next several years, it seems like. Uh, the first step in the Order of Salutis, familiar with the Order of Salutis, it's the order of salvation, uh, as it were, justification, sanctification, and glorification, justification, the first step. Last two weeks, we have addressed the final step, or glorification, and our guarantee of that. We've been talking some about that. Today I wanted to talk a little bit about the second step in that order, uh, which is the most neglected, I think it seems like to me anyway, um, which we refer to as sanctification. Sanctification is often the most uh, misunderstood step in this order of salvation. And so today we're going to look at that for just a few minutes. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So as an introduction to this topic, we're going to frame frame it between two questions, two important and relevant questions that we ask people, and which are necessary in order to get a correct understanding of where they stand as far as the kingdom is concerned. We need to know the answers to these so that we know if and how we should witness to them, as well as maybe where we should begin with that presentation. So the first question is, are you a Christian? Now, we know that for the most part, at least until a couple of years ago, being in the Bible Belt, the answer would have been yes, a resounding yes, often followed by a curious look as if to say, Why would you ask that? Now, I did say up until a couple of years ago. Prior to the pandemic, every semester, every year, huge majority, I'd say about 80% of my students, professed to be Christians. Many didn't really understand what that meant, but they still professed it. This semester, beginning January 3rd of this year, about six weeks ago or so, I have 54 students in four classes, and best I can ascertain, uh, it's fallen to less than 10. Has nothing to do with the pandemic. Don't let nobody tell you that nonsense. It's about God giving the nation over. Okay? Anyway, sorry, that was a rabbit trail that I hit at 1.30 this morning, just so you know. So the first question, are you a Christian? 
Second question, why or how do you know? That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where people will answer. Even Reformed Christians will answer in one of a few ways. Relational things like, well, of course I'm a Christian. I was born in a Christian family, grew up in a Christian home. Of course I'm a Christian. Or I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Jew, I'm not a Buddhist, so yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. Or ritualistic answers. Well, of course I'm a Christian. I was baptized. Of course I'm a Christian. I go to church. Pointing to some ritual that they performed that they chose to participate in, and they point to that as being their answer. And, this, and lastly, and this one is the one that even some of us are guilty of because I have said it. And I have heard people here say it. They point to things that they no longer do and things that they now do. Are you a Christian? Well, yes. Well, how do you know? Well, because I stopped drinking and cussing and lying and fornicating. And I started going to church and I started giving money and this and this and this. Right? That's what we tend to do. So this is where the misunderstanding comes into play. But because it is true that there are fruits, there are some things that change in terms of what we used to do and in terms of what we do now, but it is not true that that is the answer to the question, why are you a Christian? Or how do you know that you are a Christian? These answers assume that we have earned our Christianity because of the list of things that we no longer participate in or the list of things that we do participate in. Louis Burkhoff, some of you may be familiar with his stuff. He says, Sanctification may be defined as that gracious and continuous operation of the Holy Spirit by which, now again, this is a work of the Holy Spirit since it's not a work of me, it's a work of the Holy Spirit, when we answer the question, are you a Christian? Well, yes. Why? Well, because I used to do this and I don't, and I didn't used to do that, but now I do. We've missed not something, but we've missed someone. We've missed the Holy Spirit by which he purifies the sinner, renews his whole nature in the image of God, and enables him to perform good works. It differs from justification in that it takes place in the inner life of man. It is not a legal but a recreative, recreative act. It is usually a lengthy process and never reaches perfection in this life. While it is very decidedly a supernatural work of God, the believer can and should cooperate in it by a diligent use of the means which God has placed at his disposal. So he gives us a few things. Burkhoff gives us a few things to think about in that definition. His first is the nature. The Holy Spirit purifies the sinner, renews his whole nature, and enables him to perform good works. That is the work of the Spirit of God himself who sanctifies us, meaning that he purifies us wholly and completely. In other words, before this, we are not able to perform good works. We don't have the ability. 
This is extremely important to our understanding. You are not able to perform good works prior to this act of the Holy Spirit. Well, then you say, well, what about those people uh, who we know that are not Christians and they do more good works than some people I know who are Christians? How do you say, how can you say that before this work of the Holy Spirit, you cannot do good works? Well, simply put, the fact is that in the eyes of God, in order for a work to be deemed as good, it has to be the right thing, done the right way, and done for the right reason. That's the only thing that counts as a good work. And there is only one right reason in terms of righteousness in sanctification, and that reason is the glory of God. If you are an unbeliever, you can do the right thing on occasion. You can even do it the right way on occasion. But you are absolutely incapable of doing it uh, for the right reason, because the only right reason is the glory of God. And if you have not been justified, you can't even understand or comprehend the glory of God, much less act for the glory of God. So, your actions, any believers, unbeliever's actions, are not righteous apart from sanctification. There are many scriptures that we could look at that mention sanctification and might They might help us to understand this doctrine, but I believe this one to be the most succinct and explanatory with regards to sanctification. One verse, uh, verse 10, but for context, we're going to read the whole paragraph. We're starting uh, looking at Ephesians 2, starting with verse 1. Paul says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's it. The idea of sanctification is not foreign to the idea of justification. It's not an add-on to the idea of being saved. 
It's not the idea that, well, yes, God saved us, and then at some point down the road, maybe God sanctifies us. Absolutely not. It's part of the same whole. And and Paul makes that clear, as verse 10 is connected to what is known as Paul's magnum opus. I've heard I don't know how many sermons on the first nine verses. Verse 10 is just left off, and it's all one statement. Paul's uh, treatise, as it were, in verses 1 through 9, regarding the doctrine of salvation. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that it is a flaw in man that makes him want to memorize the first nine verses and leave off the tenth. Because it is the same flaw that makes man want to separate or disconnect justification from sanctification. This is a package deal. That is the statement being put forth here today, and it is proven by the paragraph that we just read. Justification and sanctification are a package deal. Sanctification literally means to be set apart, to be holy, to be other. At our justification, we are sanctified. We are set apart. It's done. That's why we are the saints. We are referred to as the saints. That's short short of sanctification, okay? Everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ are the saints. There is no such thing as someone who is in Christ who is not sanctified. That person does not exist. You are sanctified if you belong to Christ. You are holy if you belong to Christ. You are set apart if you belong to Christ. Period. Well, here's another truth. If you belong to Christ, you are being sanctified. Now, wait a minute. You just said I was already sanctified. If I am already, then how am I still in the process of being Same way you are saved, and you are being saved, and you will be saved. Spent several Sunday schools on that one. Christ is already Lord of all, and over all, and above all, and yet his lordship is still expanding. Already, but not yet, if you are familiar with the phrase. We are redeemed, and we are still awaiting our full redemption great paradox of the Christian faith is already but not yet. We are sanctified, we are being sanctified, and yet we are not yet fully sanctified. Already but not yet. This is an important distinction. And it's an important distinction because if we don't get this distinction, then often here's what we do. We believe that sanctification is something that we achieve that we finish, sort of like taking a course, right, or getting a degree or something along those lines, right? You've got a degree, you say, I've got my degree, I'm done, I'm finished, and now I move on to something else. And if you think about sanctification like this, it becomes hugely problematic because you say, okay, here I am, I'm done, and then all of a sudden you do something that indicates that your sanctification maybe wasn't as complete as you thought it was. And now you're all broken up on the inside and you what's the matter? Well I just thought I just I just thought I was there. 
And then this happened again. And why would this happen again if I was already there? Because it's already and not yet. That's why. So again, sanctification already, not yet. And there are some areas of our life where we see this, and it's just uh, it's certain things that are just like that, and they're gone. Okay, we have those sins. We had those these sins in our life, and God saved us, and poof, they were gone. It's just like I used to cuss like a sailor. No offense, JJ. Uh, when I got saved, it, God took that away immediately. Like it disgusted me. It was gone. Don't have that problem anymore. Uh, praise God for that. Amen. Certain things that are just gone. They were there and then they were gone. Celebrate those things. Celebrate those things, but be very careful. Be careful because that's not the way it works with most things. Most things in the Christian life follow that chronic disease pattern. And you may not die from it, but you're going to die with it. You will fight it for the balance of your days. So it is incredibly important that we understand the nature of this doctrine. First, we are sanctified because of the one who made us. We are sanctified because of the one who made us. For we are his workmanship. He is referring to God. We are his workmanship. Remember, being holy and sanctified means being set apart. Being set apart. How does this manifest itself? It manifests itself in righteousness and holiness. Our righteousness and our holiness are inseparable. We are declared righteous in justification. Amen. We've heard this how many times in Sunday school? Okay. We are righteous, but we are also being made righteous. In our sanctification, we are already declared righteous, but we are being made more righteous in our sanctification. God who made us holy, he is the Holy One. That is his very nature. When we talk about God, one of the first things that we say about God is God is holy. But he is other. He is set apart. He is not like us. So in terms of righteousness, oftentimes we look at something that God does and we say, well, that's not righteous. Why? Because if I did that, it wouldn't be considered righteous. God is holy. He's holy. Classic example of this would be God's jealousy. God is a jealous God. Amen? Well, how is it that God can be holy and righteous and jealous all at the same time when if I'm jealous, it's unholy? Huh? How can God tell me that it's sinful for me to be jealous and then say in the next breath that he's a jealous God? That would mean that he's not righteous because jealousy is unrighteous. God is God. God is the supreme being. There is none beside him. There is none like him, which means that God, as Isaiah says, will share his glory with no one. I am God. I will not share my glory with another. Which means that if God gives his glory or shares his glory with another, he would be guilty of blasphemy. Which means that God, by nature of being God, 
has to be jealous for his own glory so that he's not unrighteous by being a blasphemer. And you, by nature, must not be jealous because you're not God. And there is one besides you who deserves glory, but there's none besides God who deserves glory. So first and foremost, our righteousness, our sanctification, is born out of the fact that God has made us. This, of course, requires that the people of God be set apart in their behavior, and we are. Not only the nature of God as the Holy One, but the work of salvation itself. Man is dead, verses 1 through 3. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So that's where we were. That's where all of us used to be. It's where a lot of our friends and our families still are. Okay? That's who we were. And that is why if we were ever going to be holy, we needed someone, something outside of ourselves to execute the holiness because we were in the grips and the power of the world, the flesh, and the devil. So nothing that we did or could have done would have ever been holy. We had to be made holy. We had to be sanctified. We had to be set apart, which is exactly what God does. Verse 4, but, being, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. It's God who did this. We are set apart. We are sanctified only because we are God's workmanship. All of it is by grace. This is not the effort of man. This is the poetry of God. This is not you trying to do good and be good. This is God displaying his handiwork by creating you as something that is holy and righteous and set apart just like he is. We are God's workmanship. Secondly, created in Christ Jesus. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So first of all, I am now sanctified. I'm set apart because God is the one who made me. Secondly, I'm sanctified and I'm set apart because he made me in Christ. Now this is very important because now we've been remade. 
I was made the first time, but I was made in whom? I was made in Adam. And when Adam fell, I fell in Adam. And before you get angry with Adam, remember, Adam was the best of us all. The only difference would have been if you or I had been there, it would have happened sooner than it did. And so we are fallen, and none of our acts are righteous because we have been created, born in the first Adam. Now our acts become righteous because we are recreated, reborn in the last Adam. So just as in the first Adam all fell, in the last Adam, Paul says, all are made righteous. And it is because we are in Christ. That's why. Can't separate the two. Can't believe that you are righteous in Christ without first believing that you are ungodly and unrighteous in Adam. We're actually sanctified because God made us. The Holy One made us his holy people. And we are actually sanctified because the Holy One made us his holy people in Christ. Second Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are the very righteousness of God because we are in Christ. You see it now? Because we are in Christ. It's only the works that are done actually in Christ that count for any righteousness in us. There's a last step. I'm going to hurry through this one for the sake of time. The last step is this. We're righteous. We're sanctified first because of who made us. Second, because the means by which he made us in Christ. But finally, because of the ends for which he made us. You see, this is where our actual righteousness turns into manifest righteousness. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're prepared for what? For good works. What are good works? They're the works that God prepared beforehand. So I don't get to come over here and say, well, well, these are, these are good works. Well, no, they're not unless God says they are. They are not good works unless God says they are. Amen? Good works are what God prepared beforehand. And they are not just theoretical works, but so that we should walk in them. So our righteousness means nothing unless and until it is actually applied. It is only theoretical until it is actually applied. That's when we know that we have this. 
How do you know that you have been set apart in Christ? Been talking a lot about that. How do you know that you have been set apart in Christ? You know it because you bear fruit. When Christ died to purchase a holy and righteous people who walked in the good works that the Father prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, we don't just get to just do the works that we feel like doing and then come to him and scratch out the receipt and say, just accept what we're giving. And you don't get to say on the one hand, yes, I am sanctified, I am justified, I do belong to Jesus, and not have anything you can point to that is evidence of that. Jesus said a good tree will bear good fruit. So you don't get to do just whatever you feel like is a good work. And you don't get to just ride along as a free ride, not doing any work. That's the Bible, folks. That's not me. That's the Bible. You cannot be sanctified by doing good works apart from Christ. And you cannot be sanctified by being in Christ and not doing good works. We are sanctified because we are sanctified by God, the Holy One. We are sanctified because we are sanctified in Christ, the Holy One. And we are sanctified because we were set apart by God in Christ for good works. For good works. And here's the good news. Because you are actually sanctified, you have both the desire and the ability to do those good works. There's your sign. How do you know you're sanctified? Because you have the desire and the ability to do those good works. We were talking about desire and ability a little earlier. (laughs) Some have more ability than others. Okay. Um, And Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. So listen to me. Ask yourself this question, you who are saints. As you are pursuing righteousness, and that is what saints do as they pursue righteousness, is your burden heavy and burdensome? Does it seem like it's a lot of work? Or is it light? Because you see, when you have not come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, and you've come to church through your own outward works, it is hard and burdensome for you to walk the narrow road because you do not have that which you need in order to achieve it. But when you belong to Christ, his yoke is easy, and your burden becomes light, and you begin to delight in righteousness like you used to delight in sin. Remember those days? 
That's the change. You delight in light, in righteousness the way you used to delight in sin. We're sanctified. We're set apart. We're holy. We're righteous. Why? Because God himself made us that way. We're his workmanship. And because God made us that way in Christ, and we are in Christ, clothed in his righteousness alone. Amen. We are in Christ, and because that's the end for which God made us, that his righteousness might be displayed as we are conformed to the image of Christ. That's why he made us. That's why he has created us. That's why he has remade us. So that his righteousness might be displayed. Hey, I remember what that guy used to look like. He don't look like that no more. Because it is Christ's righteousness, God's righteousness being displayed. As we are conformed to the image of Christ. Not fully yet, but more today than yesterday. And more tomorrow than today, Lord willing. Let's pray. Father God, I do thank you so much for the imputed righteousness of Christ. Father, give us grace upon grace that we might shine forth your righteousness, that men might see that and might be drawn to the one who gave us that righteousness. Lord, we just ask that uh, you bless the words spoken this morning. Apply them to the hearts of each one here. Help uh, them to draw us closer to you. If there be anything said that be an error, Lord, I just pray that you would erase it from the minds and the hearts. Uh, Bless us through the remainder of this day. Keep us, lead us, guide us, and protect us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.